Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. I'm very humbled by that gracious, sweet introduction. Big brother, I don't know about that. Well, I'm a few years older than Brandon, but so I guess that does qualify. But, you know, Brandon, I just want you to know, Brandon, in all my life, I'm 47 years old, I've never had a pair of Jordans. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I, 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 as a matter of fact, I, I've never tried a pair on, okay? So when I was a kid, we, we shopped at the different rack. The Jordans, I saw them on TV, and I saw them on other people, but I wasn't that kid, so... I had the other sneakers, <laughs> so, but they look great on you, man. You're rocking them nicely, I have to say, so honored to be with you. Kaya is so special to Midtown, so special to me. I'm giddy about what God has done and what God is doing here. It's just really special to, to see people at your stage and season of life who are consecrated to the Lord. It's exciting. Very, very exciting. So I know what you mean to Brandon. I know what you mean to Eva. And for him to ask me to come and, and just back clean up for a day is something I do not take lightly. I just want to say, too, as much as I love and adore Brandon and just appreciate him, uh, I feel as deeply about Eva. What a godly woman. Uh, ladies, let me just tell you, uh, you know, Single ladies in particular, uh, married ladies too, for sure. But, but you always want to treasure and appreciate godly women that God puts before you. Study them, watch them, model them. So thank God for you, Eva. And I know the blessing you are to Brandon and the blessing that you are to, to Kaya. So uh, that said, there, there's a lot of that I can say. There's so many of you. I think I've hugged about 20 people today. And I'm so much at home and such a fan of so many of you that I've gotten to know on a personal level. And I went to Malawi and spent some time with Lydia, got to know her a little bit. Um, Brooke was on that trip and just, wow, just super ladies of God and just came back so encouraged. So, uh, But I, I could go on and on and on, but I won't do that because I do have to end at a certain time. So to do that, we should probably start. <laughs> Can we pray? All right, Father, I want to thank you so much for today. Thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. We are so grateful for that because, God, all of us desperately need them. Thank you for your grace that is so amazing. Not just at salvation, but it's amazing for life. It's sufficient. God, without you, we can do nothing, and so we understand this morning that Unless we seek your face, unless we trust you, this will be a waste of time. So we need you to bless your word. We need you to be very clear to all of us. Lord, you know what each and every one of us needs to hear and how we need to hear it and why we need to hear it. So we look to you to accomplish that. Only you can do that. But God, I do pray as much that what we do here, we would treasure that it wouldn't just go through one ear out the other, but that God, it would bring forth the type of change that would be to your glory. We ask all this by faith in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I just want to share with you personally, I was in a season of meditation on the things that God had been speaking to me about and revealing to me in his word. I was thinking on those things and allowing God to reveal to me what those things meant and how those things needed to be worked out into my life and it was in that season of, of meditating on those things that the Lord gave me a very, very clear principle, one that I'll never forget and I want to share with you as we get on our way this morning. The principle goes like this. I can be faithful to the business of God while being unfaithful to God. That, that, that was the principle. That, that's what I was gleaning out of time spent with God in his word. I can be faithful to his business while being unfaithful to him. If I'm not careful, if you're not careful, what we're doing in ministry can easily mislead us into believing or labeling ourselves as being faithful. Biblically speaking, a faithful man is much like the virtuous women. They're hard to find. The Bible says this, Proverbs 20, verse 6, Most men, most, this is where most people are in terms of how they think, what they say. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. But a faithful man who can find. I mean, when it comes to faithfulness, most men can talk a good game. But it's just talk. It's not real. Subconsciously, what we typically do with faithfulness is we define it by what we do. God, on the other hand, defines faithfulness by what we do as much as he does who we are. That is God's measurement of faithfulness. This is how God de defines it, or this is how God determines whether or not a man or a woman is faithful to him. It's not just the appearance of it, which is usually, the, the we focus on the public aspect of it, correct? And then God says, yeah, I see that, but I'm also looking at you. I'm looking at your heart, I'm looking at your mind. As I thought on these things, I, I could see the same principles in my marriage with my wife. Well, praise the Lord, she is provided for. I'm responsible to do that. I'm to, to provide for my wife, to provide for my family, so I'm not worse than an infidel. Well, praise the Lord. I have never committed, listen, physical adultery. I've never done that. I've never physically abused her. So is that not a faithful husband? I mean, a husband who provides for his wife, she has everything that she needs, and she even gets a nice vacation about once a year, and she's remembered on anniversaries and birthdays and holidays, and, and I've never cheated on her. I've never physically been with another woman. Since I've married her, I mean, in 
Gosh, I've never laid an angry hand on her. I mean, is that not a, come on, that's a faithful husband, right? But when God tries my heart and my thoughts, there's more to consider. Yes, all those things are good, but from God's perspective, God says, well, let's have a conversation about when your wife is not home. And she's running errands with the children and you've got some downtime and you're flipping channels and you as you're flipping channels, you see in the guide that there's women's beach volleyball on. Let me just clear. Let me just just clarify something. There isn't a guy that I know who watches women's beach volleyball for the sport. Are we clear? I hope we're clear. Right. God says, let's have that conversation. Because you see, from God's perspective, in those moments, uh, faithfulness matters very much. It weighs as much. Because those moments not only speak to my true faithfulness to my wife, but they speak to my true faithfulness to God. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart. As you know, he was a warrior king. He was brave and courageous. He was the sweet psalmist. I mean, there are many things that we could say about David and adore about him. In 2 Samuel, we see David and his ascent to the throne and the establishment of his kingdom and the expansion of all that. And that's the focus of 2 Samuel. He waxes stronger and stronger while the house of Saul waxes weaker and weaker. In chapter 2, he becomes the king of Judah Chapter 5, he's embraced as the king of Israel as a whole. And, of course, chapter 7, we have that amazing Davidic covenant that God establishes with him. It was so magnificent that David sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? He was blown away. And by the time we get to chapter 10, I mean, it has exploded in terms of all that God was up to in David's life. By all accounts, David would have been considered to be a faithful king. The people said as much. In 2 Samuel 3, verse 36, it says, As whatsoever the the king did pleased all the people. Today we would say David's approval rating was very high. They were very pleased, very happy with him. Obviously things take a dark turn in chapter 11, but where we're going this morning is While God was up to what he was up to in David's life and all the wonderful things that were unfolding in his life and all the things that God was doing that only God could do, behind all that, two cracks in the armor of David's life can be seen. This is our focus this morning. If you're looking for a title, we're talking about cracks in the armor. Listen, I, I want to make this statement, and, and I think it's good for us to hear this and consider this. The road to great failure, the road to great failure is always paved with what appears to be small compromises. The road to great failure is always paved with what appears to be small compromises. It always is. 
The two cracks that we see in David's armor led to episodes of unfaithfulness to God that yielded devastating results. Devastating. As a matter of fact, when you consider one of the cracks in David's armor, what we see, what, what happens in chapter 11 with Bathsheba, it was inevitable. His decisions were taking him there. He wasn't going to avoid it. I imagine that David and those around him probably considered these things to be uh, just run of the mill. That's uh, just the way people are. Everybody's doing this. The first one was so very common. Again, we'll do a flyover here, but in chapter 2 of 2 Samuel, this begins to unfold very clearly. Verse 1, And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said, Unto Hebron. So David went up thither, and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. Turn to chapter 3, and we pick it up in verse 1. Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And unto David were sons born in Hebron. And his firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and his second, Chiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite, and the third, Absalom, the son of Maka, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, and the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, and the fifth, Shepatiah, the son of Abital, and the sixth, Ithraim, by Egla, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. Let's keep going. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David and to Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. And David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. And Hiram king of Tyre sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David in house. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. In verse 13, it hits like a freight train. And David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron, and there were yet sons and daughters born to David. What was David's response to all that God was doing? Give me more women. Wow. Wow. Verse 13, it just, it sacks me. That David could see all that God was doing. When you read all that, how was David not going to avoid what he did in chapter 11 with Bathsheba? Listen, David had a sensual crack in his armor. This was the first crack in his armor. He had a sensual crack. David's life in this area resembles what I've seen so often and so many. Because he's wrong. 
what he did is what so many of us do. We misinterpret God's mercy and God's long-suffering as permission to continue in our sin. Yeah, I mean, I know this is wrong, and I, and, and, and I know this goes against God's word, but, but somehow God is allowing me to keep going. I mean, after all, look at all that I'm doing. So it must be okay. I mean, yeah, who's perfect? None of us are. We reason in our flesh that if God hasn't chastised us yet, then, well, you know, okay, I'll just do this one more time and then I'm done. Well, how many times have you told yourself that lie? Come on now. Many of you are ascending in ministry, but a few things are as dangerous as a leader in ministry who is continuing in sin, presuming upon the mercy and grace of God. That's a dangerous person in ministry leadership. Polygamy was common at this time, but listen, faithful men are not common men. Faithful men are peculiar. They're not like everybody else. Polygamy, as we know, was man's idea, not God's. God only tolerated it in the Old Testament because of the hardness of Israel's heart. But it wasn't God's plan. Never has been, never will be. But there are more than a few who would consider themselves faithful that have this same crack in their armor. They're doctrinally astute. They are ardent in the ministry. You can count on them. They're going to show up. They'll be ready to teach, ready to serve, ready to execute their posts very well. But they have a sensual crack in their armor. Lust is running wild in their life. It is unbridled. According to CovenantEyes.com, 64% of Christian men say they watch pornography at least once a month. And some men actually question if pornography is actually sin. To that I say, if you don't believe that it is sin, then why do you only view it in private? Why don't you view it publicly? You view it in private because it is a dark practice that cannot live and breathe in the light. Or, if you don't buy that. How about this? How about you get married? And it's a Friday night, and you and your wife are trying to figure out what you want to watch on TV. Maybe there's a movie or something to that extent. How about you pull your laptop out and say, honey, I got something I want us to watch. See how she does with that. I suspect that that's not going to be a good night. But here's what concerns me most about this area of sin for men who are addicted to this, who are in this bondage, who have this crack that is unaddressed. Is that they find themselves in the place where they don't believe they can live without it. The Bible wholeheartedly disagrees. Because the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 12 that 
uh, we are not debtors to what? To the flesh. So I don't owe my flesh anything. Uh, my flesh can demand what it demands, and it demands a lot all the time, so does yours, but, uh, but I don't owe it anything. <laughs> so I do have a choice. We always have a choice when it comes to sin, right? So they continue leading and teaching and resolve that it's, well, it's not full-blown adultery. It's just adultery in the heart, and who's perfect? So I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, and, you know, hey, no biggie. Let me give you a couple of things to think about, brothers and even sisters. Some, the numbers show that, but definitely men for the most part. About this area of sin. Pornography is a merciless demon that wants to destroy your life. It's merciless. What it does to your mind, what it does to your heart, what it does to your eyes, it's vicious. It annihilates your worship, your prayer life, your fellowship with God, your fellowship with others. It pollutes your view of men, of women, and of your spouse. You know what's interesting about pornography, particularly to those who are married? If you're married and you are addicted to this, let me tell you something. You actually get to the place where you find your spouse repulsive. This is how warped this sin is. When you constantly flood your mind with that filth, with that unholiness, with that garbage, you look at your wife, you look at your husband, and you find them disgusting. Why? Because you have embraced, you have adopted a new standard, and it's that. It's awful. You should be repulsed by what you're looking at on that screen. Lastly, eventually, pornography is not enough. You start crossing lines. Listen, the flesh is weak in all of us. I'm no different, that's for sure. The difference is, for some of us, for some of you, you're playing with fire. Consider Proverbs 6, verses 27 and 28. Because when you're playing with fire, what you're doing is, is you are intentionally walking in slippery, slippery places where you're going to fall. You're intentionally going there. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man take fire in his bosom, or can he bring fire in close and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals, and his feet not be burned. The context there is lust. That's the context. And in a crowd this size, I'm certain that some are playing with fire. You're playing with it. Paul said, it is good for men not to touch a woman but for some who are dating, you keep changing the boundaries on what touching means. Every time you're together, the boundaries get pushed back a little bit further. 
as it relates to touching. You're playing with fire, and eventually you will get burned. For some this morning, the Holy Spirit is stirring you to submit to his leadership by confessing whatever needs to be confessed and forsaking it. But unfortunately, it's not what most people do because I'm going to get it right. I've got this. No, you don't. You don't have it. You know how I know that? Because that's what you've been saying for how many years? You see, the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 3, when it comes to these kinds of things in our lives, Paul gives us a word. He says we are to what? We are to mortify those things. We put them to death. You know what you're saying? You know what you're telling yourself? You know what you're, the lie you're selling yourself? I'm going to manage this. I've got a plan. I'm going to get it under control. You can't. You can't. God says, I want it dead. That's one crack that David had in the armor of his life. More than a few have it, too. Let's go to chapter 6, and we'll meet the other crack that David, the crack in David's armor in his life. Chapter 6. Uh, here we know that David was moving the ark of God to Jerusalem, which had been established as the capital in chapter 5. And we pick up the narrative in chapter 6 and verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels, and on cornets, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Azah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him and to the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. If the Christian life was based primarily on our good intentions, it'd be a piece of cake, right? David's intentions here were only good. They were only good. The problem was his approach was not biblical. That was the issue. God had given specific instructions on how kings were to live. In Deuteronomy 17, 17, one of the things that we know is they were not to multiply wives to themselves. Well, David has disregarded that because, again, he had a sensual crack. And God had given instructions regarding who could handle the ark and how that was to be transported. And David said, no, thank you to that, too. 
As the king of Israel, David had to know both of those. He had to know. But here, here we go. David had a presumptuous crack in his armor. He had a sensual crack in his armor, but he also had a presumptuous crack in his armor. When we're talking about being presumptuous, we're talking about people who are confident in being rash before God. They're rash. This is where they make bold decisions with or without regard to what the Word of God says. I'm I'm going to uh, think, say, or do whatever I think or feel is best. And if that happens to be in agreement with God's Word, great. And if it doesn't, well, then it's all the same because I'm going to just do what I'm going to do. It's presumptuous. And the timing of this event should be taken into account. In chapter 5, we saw that David was anointed king. He had taken the stronghold of Zion, the city of David. Chapter 10, as we saw, or or verse 10 of chapter 5, we saw David was growing great, and God was with him. In chapter 5, he defeats the Philistines. I mean, things are going pretty well. All right, now here we come to chapter 6, and... David is getting ready to make an extremely important decision. He's handling the ark of God, which represented God's presence amongst his people. I think it would have been a good idea to inquire of the Lord on that. But David doesn't do that. Because when you are presumptuous, if there's one thing you bypass, it's prayer. (laughs) You have time for that or even interest. David had grown great, but here's what happens all too often with men who are growing great in ministry. They subconsciously perceive that, well, because of who I am and because of where I am, there are certain privileges and entitlements that come with that. So as one former pastor said, Biblical principles no longer apply to me. Wow. I think he was a little presumptuous. And oh my goodness, did he produce disastrous results in his life and in the life of many. That is the height of presumption. What happened here with Uzzah was absolutely inexcusable. Here's why. Remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 6? when the ark is being returned from the Philistines back to Israel. And the men of Bethlehemesh get a little curious, and they look inside the ark. How'd that work out? Not very good, did it? 50,070 men died. You think David didn't know that? Come on. How could he have forgotten that? By the way, that that was 1 Samuel chapter 6, where 50,070 die. What is David doing in 2 Samuel chapter 6? You think God did this by accident? I think not. David had to know this. He had to be careful. Listen, please, please listen. 
in cultures like ours here at Midtown, living faith in cultures like ours where we place such a very high premium on the word of God and we place as high a premium on men who can handle it well, especially in settings like this. I'm not saying I'm one of them. I'm just saying we place a very high premium on that. But here's what we do subconsciously. They get a pass somehow. They can do whatever they want. I remember one time I saw a pastor walk into a Bible study and walk up to a woman who wasn't his wife and put his lips on hers. And I saw him do this more than once. Well, hey, I mean, who's going to challenge him? Oh, you know what that guy knows about the Bible? Have you heard him preach? How dare we challenge him? Are you kidding me? We should know God didn't get that memo. You should also know that that type of leadership, that type of character, it always produces casualties. The wreckage that it leaves behind. Uzzah was one of those casualties, but that was just a warm-up to what was coming. Turn to chapter 24 of Second Samuel as we get down the home stretch here. Second Samuel 24, verse 1, and again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, go, number Israel and Judah. We know from First Chronicles 21, verse 1, that it says that it was Satan that provoked David to number Israel. No contradiction. The other issue was uh, David was being prideful and presumptuous. His want to was set to, his mind was made up, he was going to do this. And you need to understand something. God will allow us to exercise our presumptuous free will. Go for it. You get to do that. You should know, though, God gets to respond to that, and he always does. So God will use Satan to deal with David. Look at verse 8. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of, you should underline this next phrase, these next two words, nine months and 20 days. Uh, this census didn't take nine minutes, didn't take nine days. And it didn't take nine weeks. It took nine months and 20 days. Uh, even Colonel Joab tried to talk David out of this. And David would have no part of that. Here's where I'm going with that. Uh, David had nine months and 20 days to not do this, to stop this. To call this off. His mind was made up. David's sin with Bathsheba is so well known 
and the murder of Uriah, certainly all of it was egregious. But this was egregious times ten. And as God always does, he responded to David's presumptuousness in resounding fashion. Verse 15, So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed, and there died of the people from Dan even to Bathsheba 70,000 men. Uh, Just so we're clear, that's not fiction. Uh, You should not uh, carefully just gloss over that and, okay, what's next? No, 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 please listen, no, no. 70,000 men died. David commanded Joab to number the people from Dan to Beersheba, that's north to south, and 70,000 men died from Dan to Beersheba. Obviously, obviously, the lessons of 1 Samuel 6 and 2 Samuel 6 did not register with David. Obviously. Brothers and sisters, we would be wise to study and learn from the presumptuousness of others. It never works out. It doesn't work. Because as God did with them, I will leave you with this point, and this is very, very important. God will always be waiting for you at the end of your presumption. He will meet you there. You want to do, you want to think, say, and do whatever you think, whatever you feel is right, and you could care less what God says about it. You're your own person. You're your own man. You're your own woman. That's fine. You can do that. But God says, at the end of that, I'll be waiting. I'll be waiting. I promise you, I promise you, if David could have given his right arm and his left arm and both of his legs to go back to that moment and not number the people, he would have done it without hesitation. He would have said, start the surgery immediately. Amputate me. As a matter of fact, just kill me. How could David lay his head down at night knowing that 70,000 people died because of his pride and presumption? How do you sleep with that? This is a very costly way to live, and it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Can we position our hearts and our minds in prayer? What have you heard from the Lord? If you are a counselor here, I'm going to ask you to come forward and be prepared. But I want to give you some space to whatever you need to confess, whatever your business, as we say, you need to conduct with the Lord. Don't put it off. You know, one of the areas that men and women are presumptuous is in the area of when it comes to the gospel. 
The Bible says that man says, you know, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I don't need Jesus. I got my own way. Well, like I said earlier, well, God will, God will meet you there too. We don't want that for you. God doesn't want it for you. That's why he came in the person of Jesus Christ, who went to the cross and died for your sins, was buried and rose again on the third day so that when you do meet him face to face, oh, what a reunion, what a meeting that's going to be. One that you'll really, really enjoy. The one that you choose, though, you harden your heart and you go, oh, no, I've got this. I don't need that. I've got my own way. Well, yeah, God will let you do that, but we don't want that for you. That's a bitter decision that yields devastating, eternal results. That you would give your life to come back to this day and say, oh, Lord, I had the opportunity. Take it. Can we pray? How do you need to respond? Let's do that. Counselors, please come forward. Father, we... Maybe it's just me. But God, I have, uh, I have heard from you today. God, I thank you for the clarity of your word. I thank you for how sober it is. God, it would be irresponsible. It would be reckless of us to dismiss this. Write it off. Please get done so we can get out of here kind of attitude. God, if we think like that, you will surely bring us back to this day. So whatever it is that we've heard, however you are dealing with us, God, by your grace, for your glory, would you please help us to respond right now? God, I ask all of this by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.